And like, you know, when it comes to exercise, people are conditioned to think the hard way. It's got to be hard. But it's the soft stuff that allows you to feel good. And it's the soft stuff that actually allows you to do the hard stuff better, mm-hmm. safer, more free. You know, and so rolling may not be sexy, but really, if it allows you to do everything you want to do better without getting hurt, well, then it gets to be quite sexy. And it always feels good, no matter no matter how good you roll, getting on the ground and rolling around feels amazing. That was Tim Anderson, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by Simply Faster. I wanted to let you know about the Simply Faster Clinic, which is going to be hosted at Tony Villani's XPE Sports in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, May 21st, 2022. This clinic will feature Tony Holler speaking on track speed for football using a Feed the Cats approach, Les Spellman highlighting acceleration profiling for speed development, Tony Villani speaking on game speed and separation for agility, as well as Joey Garasio speaking on application of strength, power, speed, and agility to a team setting. To sign up for this clinic, you can go to simplyfaster.com, then their online store, and you'll find the clinic sign up under promotional. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's great to have you here. Body weight training has been a massive part of not only my own personal workout regimes, but it's also been something that I've been integrating more and more in my time as a sports performance coach over the years that I've been working with athletes. One of the big influences for me in the world of bodyweight training has been our guest today, Tim Anderson. Tim is the co-owner of the Original Strength Institute. He's been a personal trainer for over 20 years. And in that time, Tim has written and co-written many books on human performance, including The Becoming Bulletproof Project, Habitual Strength, Pressing Reset, and Original Strength Performance. Tim has a gift with taking these complex mechanisms of the human body and offering really simple exercise solutions that can help us to move and feel better. Tim previously appeared on the podcast on episode 154, where he really went into the power of crawling and the reflexive elements of crawling as that organic part of our human movement and human design. And on the tail end of that show, Tim discussed rolling for a few minutes. And we talked about that for a little bit, but I really wanted to get more into that concept of rolling. So I've brought Tim back for the show. And on this one, he's going to get into all things rolling on the level of the vestibular system, joint rotation, especially internal rotation, the gait cycle, sensation, being present in a workout, and really how rolling can make the rest of our work better. At the end of the show, Tim talks about modulating speeds and rhythms in groundwork. And finally, he'll get into how his own personal workouts and training have progressed and evolved over time and how rolling plays an important part of his own personal daily strength training routine. If you want to see a visual representation of what we're talking about as this podcast is audio, you can head to the show notes at justflysports.com, where I've included a video on segmental rolling. And with that said, let's get on to episode 305 with Tim Anderson. Tim, it's great to have you back. We left off with a chat on uh, rolling last time. I know last time you were on, we talked a lot on crawling, and we had gotten into rolling just a little bit. I'm curious what your general progression is when it comes to rolling. So individuals come in, where do you start with them on the level of rolling? And then where, where do you go? And maybe, I'm, I'm sorry, I should say this before I ask you that as, I, as I'm asking this and wrote it down. But what's the purpose of rolling first? Because maybe to just to jump into it, 
and assume everyone did just listen to the last episode. So purpose of rolling and then how do you progress it? Oh, well, rolling, well, it does a lot of things. When we're children, it continues to further activate our vestibular system and it combines our tactile system, you know, our skin. It's our largest tactile organ. And when we roll, um, we're stimulating you know, the skin a lot. But then also we're stimulating the fascia underneath the skin, the muscles, the joints. Everything is providing information to the brain as we roll. So the brain just really learns where everything's at through rolling. It's just flooding the body with information and all that information is going through the vestibular system. So it's continuing to, to activate the vestibular system, but also integrate the proprioceptive system to the, the vestibular system. All that to say is rolling just teaches the body where everything's at. And that's one thing it does. Another thing it does is it is the foundation of our gait pattern. So the body's an X and rolling connects the X. It connects the opposite shoulder to the opposite hip on the front side and the back side. And it literally is our gait pattern. If you stand over somebody and watch them roll, a segmental roll, it looks like uh, when they're halfway through it, it looks like they're running or walking. That's the position their body's in. And so like literally the gait pattern is inside the roll. Yeah. When, when Connor Harris was on, maybe sometimes I lose track of when exactly his prior guests were on, but about a year ago, he was talking about how just even when you put your hands on the ground, you have more sensory information. And the more sensory points or you lie on the ground, now you have more points of sensory information for the brain to learn and, and so on and so forth. So it makes sense that rolling, I guess that probably is the most sensory loaded thing you could probably do, right? Because you're literally yeah. like rolling your body and over the ground, getting all this sensory information to come in. Yeah, I've never thought of this before, but since you said it that way, if you could imagine that your body's a sponge and everything out there is information. And so when you're rolling on the ground, you're trying to take that sponge and soak in the information everywhere. I like that analogy. That's, that's really good. Cause yeah, if you're standing, you know, there's only a little bit of that sponge in the ground, you know, you, you're Correct. getting something, but if you really want to load your body up with information, let that sponge, yeah, be, be all over that totally makes sense. Yeah. So thank you for that. That's the first time I've ever thought. <laughs> well, hey, we, we, yeah, no, I, I, I like that analogy. I, those stories and analogies work really well for me. So I'll, I'll be sure to keep that in my mind for athletes as well. Tim, you mentioned the vestibular system. It's actually something I was just, just been thinking about this in the sense of, you know, and I mentioned it to you a little bit before the show, but I think that all these little subcomponents of the human body, vestibular system, reflexes, et cetera, I mean, I think there can be a very complicated way to go about some of these things. You know, you can get really far down like the nervous system rabbit hole. I mean, I think that's great, but I'm always, I always think about, well, what is like the simplest place to start out before I necessarily have to maybe take like a big course on the vestibular system and get into all these movements and, and et cetera. Not that those aren't probably really valuable. Like what's the simplest thing that I can just start with? <laughs> and so maybe for like the sake of even like if someone has trouble with balance in general, have you seen from a practical standpoint before and after vestibular improvements or is there any way you measure that just using rolling as an intervention? Yes, I have seen uh, balance improve with rolling, coordination improve with rolling, you know, dexterity. But even like to, to honestly answer your question for the simplest thing, if we do three things, and this is this is as simple as it gets, but if we do these three things, we'll more than likely stay healthy throughout our lives. Uh, the first one is breathe properly with your diaphragm and then nasal breathe, keep tongue and roof your mouth. That would be the first one. Second is activate your vestibular system. And you can do that through eye and head movement, rolling, things like that. 
And then the third is just engaging your gait pattern. But if we do those three things, those are the things that keep us healthy. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, as I as I get older, the, my training at least, I hadn't, like I said, I haven't been thinking about the vestibular stuff as much, but the the gait, you know, especially since I, I got into your work and I've just been going down that pipeline more and more, just engaging the gait pattern in different ways has become more and more and more a, a big part of what I do, uh, just for myself and how it weaves itself into the performance or the programs that I write. So you mentioned head movements though, because that when I think of vestibular training, you know, it's funny, I hadn't necessarily thought about like rolling isn't the first thing that comes to my brain, but more because I've just of some of the coursework I've been to with that works more off head nodding and moving your head in different directions rapidly and things like that. And I mean, we think about it, you're rolling on the ground, uh, any roll, like it could be a you know, tumbling class, like in physical education, like that stuff's all like massive vestibular stimulus. Maybe this would be a question like for athletes, would there be a difference like for an athlete, like if you could roll, if you could get on the ground and roll like in an athletic manner, do you think mm-hmm. there's still a need to do like kind of the standing head nod type things? And I'm not even that familiar with the head nod, by the way, I, I've taken some of the coursework, but I've never got to the point where I used it. Could you talk about the head nodding versus moving on the ground and who you would use each for and why? Oh, man, maybe. I'll try to <laughs> I mean, distill this. So, so if, if I am with a person, you know, I'll run them through what we, what we call the OSA, the original screen, screen and assessment to see if they need more um, head control or if they need more help with rolling, if that makes sense. So, so with OS, I just try to find out what a person's lacking so that I can meet them where they're at. So if a person has a problem using their eyes or, or controlling the movements of their head, that, you know, that would be the place to start. If they got that, but they're lacking some, some of the dexterity in their nervous system for actually putting together a roll, a, a fluid roll, like an ocean wave, then, then I may start there. So it just all depends on the person, but I'll tell you, like I have seen million dollar athletes that literally get paid millions of dollars to play their sport that can't roll well, you know, so there, there's gaps in their, in their movement base, their foundation. It, it doesn't mean anything bad. It just means they're, they're missing something that could actually help them become even more powerful uh, and faster in their sport. And you've probably heard this too, like, you know, just because they're an athlete doesn't mean they're not a great compensator or Mm -hmm. most of the time athletes are the best compensators. So it's not that just because you're an athlete, that that doesn't mean you can necessarily roll well. However, rolling well can actually help your athletic performance tremendously. Yeah. One thing, it's interesting. One of the things I've been considering as well, I actually, this hit me very clearly. I was at the gym a few weeks ago and I was having a couple of the trainers who work there. I had them do just like a seated thoracic rotation test where you're sitting down, you have a block between your knees and you just rotate your ribs to the left and right as far as you can without cheating. Like as soon as you see the knees move at all, that means they're, they're compensating and they're trying to use something else. And these guys that we were going through, like had done a lot of lifting, like a lot of heavy compressive lifting and not a lot of restorative work. You know, the ratio is just all in favor of compressive lifting and they, their thoracic rotation was maybe like, I mean, literally like might've been like 10, 10 degrees, 15 degrees. It was very, very little. And I just thought about this, like this wasn't something that anyone I think had necessarily told me, but I kind of was thinking, well, if you're compressed and your rib cage has been squeezed front to back, like over time from the compressive forces, it's not going to roll as well. Whereas a rib cage that's a little more circular, like a, like a cylinder, 
can roll just fine. But if you've compressed yourself, you've taken that cylinder and made it more of an ellipse. And now it's going to kind of, this is a wall, wall, <laughs> you know, it's not, but anyways, I, I had those two individuals. I said, all right, well, just for an experiment, why don't you guys just roll for three, I'm going to put three minutes and you guys roll around on the ground. And I think I just watched your segmental rolling video in the past like week or two. So I was inspired by that and like, all right, you guys are just going to do segmental rolling. And then they went back and they tested again and it was just so much better. I mean, at least 10, 15 degrees more and wow. maybe more than that. And I know that sometimes you do any intervention and the brain's like, oh yeah, an intervention. But that I, I'm convinced that that was like literally might've been the best thing they could possibly do. And so I, I get it. Like, I think that especially athletes who haven't done that kind of thing, don't put a priority on that. And they just spend a lot of time with more of the compressive power lift type training. Just eventually, like you said, that rolling gets, it gets worse and worse and worse. And it's almost like this health of your ability to, to rotate <laughs> and to, uh, to not let yourself get, get too compressed over time. Yeah. I once heard, um, Dan John do a talk about, um, whatever an athlete's not doing, do that and it makes them stronger all over the place in every other area and his example was like so in his the five human movements push pull hinge squat carry if somebody was missing one of those patterns or just not using those patterns if they started doing that it would actually make all the other patterns better and i think it's the same way with any of those basic developmental movements too like so if you're rocking and doing head nods and breathing and, and crawling, but you're not rolling. If you start rolling, it'll make it make all the other stuff better too. I think it's when you add in that extra information that the brain's not getting or the nervous system's not getting that it really is looking for. It just takes the brakes off of everything. Tim with, with rolling. I mean, it's something that definitely, you know, I think if we look at everything that you could do in a performance program, there's things that are definitely way more exciting, you know, sprinting, explosive throws, Olympic lifts, like plyometrics, like, those things are all like, they're a lot of fun. Rolling on the ground is a lot more like slow and internal, you know? And so how do you, I guess maybe one thought would be, is there a progression in the sense that, or is there a point where an athlete's like, okay, you're pretty good at this. We don't need to do this as much. Maybe just speak a little bit on segmental rolling, for example, like what is it? Is that where you start? Do you progress from there? Talk to me a little bit about progression in the world of rolling. So segmental rolling is rolling like an ocean wave or piece by piece by piece, literally segment one segment at a time. So if an example would be if I'm laying on my back with my arms overhead and I want to roll from my upper body, I would take my right arm, lift up my head and move my right arm across my body to my left and roll from my back to my belly. And ideally a segmental roll that looks like an ocean wave or a rag doll. It looks very fluid. It like imagine if somebody poured out water on the floor and the water just runs across the floor. No effort, no, no jerkiness, no stiffness, no rigidity. That would be a segmental roll. Mm. Most people don't have that fluidity when they roll. It should look graceful and beautiful. Most people, there's tension, there's uh, excess tension. Sometimes they have to hold their breath. They have to tense up every muscle they have to get over from their back to their belly. They look like a log. So the body moves as one whole piece versus a piece at a time. So for those people, or the regression to that would be, well, how can we make that role smaller and more accessible? And it could be as simple as doing windshield wipers, where you try to keep your shoulder blades on the floor and you rotate your legs from side to side, trying to get the body to like rotate in small segments or to just get used to that rotation. Or it could be what we call an egg roll, where you just kind of ball up into a ball and roll, start the roll with your eyes and your head. You just become very deliberate with moving your eyes, then move your head 
and then get your body to follow. So you're teaching from the smallest movement, eye movement, head movement, body movement. So you can almost look at those as three segments. And then you just start to try to, once the body gets used to that, you get more access to your nervous system because you're flooding it with information and starting to learn where everything's at. So it can relax a little bit more. Tension starts to drop a little bit more out of the muscles. So then you actually start to find fluidity in your movement. And so those little roles can actually start to open up into big, expressive, very fluid segmental roles. I like the analogies that you have for rolling. Like I was, I've done a couple of podcasts with Nick Winkleman and the more I've talked to him, the more I, important I, I realize just how important like language is and like the picture and like the feeling that the people associate with what they're doing. And I really like that, like the water and the, that just fluidity, because I think that a lot of times in a training session, that's not necessarily, especially a training session, it's like, all right, we're going to, we're going to clean, we're going to squat, we're going to bench or, or whatever, whatever you're doing. That's not that type of analogy usually is not in the equation. It makes sense to me that when you're rolling and when you're on the ground and we're talking about like almost, we're getting into more of the softer side, you know, it reminds me almost like Edward Yu and Feldenkrais and like just doing movements since they're slow on the ground, that water and fluidity, that's almost like the best place you could really get into that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, when it comes to exercise, people are conditioned to think the hard way. It's got to be hard. But it's the soft stuff that allows you to feel good. And it's the soft stuff that actually allows you to do the hard stuff better, mm-hmm. safer, more free. You know, and so rolling may not be sexy, but really, if it allows you to do everything you want to do better without getting hurt, well, then it gets to be quite sexy. And it always feels good. No matter, no matter how good you roll, getting on the ground and rolling around feels amazing. Quickly, I wanted to let you know about the chance to try out Performance Herbalism for only a few dollars shipping costs and get one of Lost Empire Herbs' flagship products, Pine Pollen, for free. Switching to an herbal emphasis in my supplementation has been a life-changing switch for me. Just as nature is by design balanced and sustainable, I believe that the more natural our diet and our supplementation is, the better. I love and use several Lost Empire Herbs products that boost not only my energy, but also my strength. These include Chiliagit Resin and the Phoenix Formula. You can check those out by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly and grab 15% off. If you're on the fence about the power of herbalism, I have a great offer for you, which is that you can get free. You do pay a few dollars shipping, but you can get free pine pollen. Pine pollen is an herbal powerhouse that is a hormonal and energy booster packed with nutrition. It's actually part of the Phoenix Formula. And you can get that for free along with the normal shipping fee at justflypinepollen.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah. Austin Yoakum, who's been on this podcast, posts about this every now and then, but like the idea of training like the hard and the soft or the yin and the yang, like the, the masculine and the feminine, like whatever, you know, whatever definitions you want to use there. But like, okay, we're going we're gonna to train like the aggressive side of things, but we're also going to train the soft side of things. And we want to make sure we pay attention to both. And I think that sometimes in training, it's almost like the the warm up or the preparation is is treated with the same level of aggressiveness as the main lift. <laughs> and I'm not, like I'm not saying like I I think if you're going to train hard and you're lifting heavy like then lift heavy like then you can bring that into that. But I think that we don't oftentimes get into like in the preparation our mentality is still stuck in the very linear, the very hard edged, you know, like it's like we need to get out of that <laughs> for right. just a minute to actually be able to let the body to organize itself in that in that different manner. 
uh, versus always being on you know what i'm saying like it makes sense to me at least i think that's interesting i thought about that as you were mentioning it the other hazard to that though is bringing that mentality or some i i i'm guilty of this too but like a, a check the box mentality to the warm-up mm. where like even if you are pressed reset and you're doing head knots and rolling around rocking and crawling but if you're just checking the box with it and not actually checking in to your body maybe missing some valuable information that your body's trying to tell you before you go do something heavy you know you may you may be setting yourself up for an issue by not actually getting into the movement and listening to what your body's trying to tell you and feeling how it actually feels when you do the rolling or the rocking or whatever it is you're doing yeah one of the the bigger changes that i've made in the last couple of years was I, I used, or I, I have been using like just bodyweight isometric holds for extended time periods in my workouts on some level for, I would say the last six years, seven years, and, and really in the last five. Historically, those had always been something at the end, like they're kind of hard and you do them after the lift to kind of reorganize and re-expand the body. And, and it's kind of like a finisher to you, a little lactate helps you recover, that kind of thing. And then I don't remember exactly where I started thinking about this, but I was like, oh, you could put those in the warm up too. I, I actually I had a workout with an individual at one point who was kind of in the system where those would be in the warm up like a longer isometrical like 2 minutes of an isometric lunge in the warm up. And then I had a conversation with Tommy John who's been on this podcast about if he has them um, the isometrics in the beginning or the end and he is like, "Well, we warm up with isometrics." And ever since I made that switch, I just felt like it was so beneficial because the the mentality of holding anything with body weight only for extended time period is not like pure aggressiveness. You know, it is, it is awareness. It is, it is check. You, you almost can't, I mean, I've seen athletes definitely avoid checking in, in a two minute lunge. They kind of just, their heads look at all over, their eyes are looking all over the place. They're not going down far enough. They're just generally trying to avoid it. <laughs> but for people who get into the movement, once you do it for long enough, you, you have to, like, it has to be, the, the mentality has to be one of checking in. and so. For that reason, amongst others, I've really appreciated and enjoyed putting an isometric movement as always as one of the first movements in the workout. So anyways, I, I, that, I just thought of that as you were talking about the rolling too. It is a mentality. I think we tend to do way too many things in life as a check the box or, well, if you just do these movements. And yeah, I mean, a big part of life is definitely just showing up. I agree with that. But you're definitely not going to get, you will not reach your potential unless you can shift your mentality for the different components of the training. That I, I'm so glad you said that with the warm up. It, it's definitely something that I've been thinking about, but I hadn't really articulated and hadn't really organized. I think uh, in that way until you actually mentioned that. So I I totally agree. Heck, you just helped me. Like I mean, showing up's how you like. It's all about showing up, but after that, it's about being present. So now you've helped me connect that gap too. Like I think like there's your one two punch. Show up, be present. Yeah, and then whatever you want, you've got it. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure a buddy of mine paul cater who's also been on the show i think one of the ways he does it is through through rhythms like you you're doing all the warm-ups to like a, a music that's on with a beat but no real lyrics and everything's like to this beat and that's like that's a great way to get presence too like just how do you how do you make it so the warm-up isn't just ticking off boxes or or the workout itself too i mean that's that's a big part too and it'd be cool to have like this like almost master list of how to really get in presence in that in that warming up. I, I do want to ask more about the, the progression though with rolling. So is that something that is pretty much in everyone's program, no matter where they are, like on some level, like how long do you spend doing it? 
like rolling in the Ooh. course of warmups. Like, tell me a little bit about who gets what, how long, like some of the nuts uh, and bolts of it. It all depends on the person and, you know, like what kind of personality are they? Is it going to be all I can do just to like convince them they need to roll for one minute <laughs> a day? Or are they going to be hungry? And are they going to, you know, truly want, you know, go for it because they understand what it's going to do for them? And then are they willing to give me more time? Right. So I always start, try to start simple. I try to show them exactly why they need to do it. And I do that by letting them experience how rolling makes them feel better or how it changes something dramatically. So, because if they believe they need to roll because it's going to help them get their goal, they'll, they'll roll. Mm -hmm. If they have no idea why they should do it and they think it's stupid, they're not going to roll. So I try to close that gap to make them see, no, this is important. Here's why you want to do it. Because now for the first time in 20 years, you just touched your toes because you rolled on the floor Mm -hmm. for 30 seconds. So after that, I'll try to like, I keep it simple. Like, can you, can you give me two minutes a day of rolling? Like, you know, if we're just looking at rolling purely, it doesn't have to take more than two, three minutes. And if you feel good and you feel great and well, and if you like feeling good, what if you did that later in the day, if you were, you know, before you went to bed or something, it's great that you give me two or three and I'll take it. But if you really like it and you, it was no big deal and you enjoyed it, could you give me another two or three? So I just try to see where the person's at. Because it is really about showing up and getting the repetitions in there too. Sometimes you can do stuff mindlessly and still get a lot of benefit from it. But eventually, once you realize the, the riches that are available to you, then you can get more present with it. So I just try to keep it simple, two minutes. Like if I think it's going to be a struggle, just give me two minutes. And you, you try to make it seem so ridiculously simple that they would almost feel silly not doing it. Yeah, I like the idea of getting buy-in with it like with those two i mentioned like the two trainers who their thoracic rotation was almost zero and then they did two three minutes of rolling and they come back and they get a massive increase like you see that it's like oh yeah maybe i should be doing this to warm up actually one of the after that one of the the trainers who had done that he said that in his next session for his like fitness fitness class he had the class doing a lot of that stuff you know it's like you see it yourself and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, but this is something that's important because here's the change. Like if you did it and there was no change, then all right, well, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. You know, otherwise, it's just all it's all theoretical. It's like, oh, well, in theory, this is good because X, Y, Z. But no, this is actually helping you. This actually, yeah, you actually rotated more. You touched your toes like maybe we should do this more often. So, yeah, I, I, I like that idea using it as a buy in as well. And that, but that's the thing, your body or their body will tell them exactly what they need to know. Yes, this was good for me. I liked it. You know what? This didn't do anything for me, which tells you as a trainer too. Well, maybe we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. Maybe we need to look somewhere else. So it's, it's great information to be able to see if it can create a change in somebody. Tell me, Tim, you mentioned this, you talked about connecting the X, like with the segmental rolling. And uh-huh. could you get a, a little bit more into how maybe that position in the role where you are connecting that and yeah, so I, I just because again, this is audio, right? Like you're in the car, like, okay, I'm trying to form a mental picture. What's going on here? I mean, I guess people just need to get on the ground and do it, right? Or I'll, I'll be sure to link some things in the show notes. Could, but could you describe a little bit more about exactly what's happening with connecting that X in the uh, process of segmental rolling? So I was just about to ask you if this is visual at all, because I was going to stand up and show you. But um, <laughs> since it's not visual, so if you're listening to this, if you the body is an X. So if you stand like you're one big X, so your legs are apart and your hands are over your head. Like, so you're just trying to make an X out of your body. If you take your right arm and reach down towards your left hip 
and rotate into that, you are bringing your right shoulder towards your left hip. That's a roll. Um, so on the on the front side of the body, you're connecting to X that way. Conversely, when you unroll or stand back up straight, you brought the back of your right shoulder closer to the back of your left hip. And if you continued in that motion, you're bringing the back of your left shoulder or your right shoulder closer to that left hip. So you're folding on the backside, rotating diagonally back. So if the body, the body is a big X and when we roll, especially for segmental roll, a really great way to do it is to take your right shoulder towards your left hip. And that twisting rotation starts to connect the front side. It connects the, the sling, the sling systems from one side, from one shoulder to the, the, the opposite hip. And it starts to rotate all the vertebrae between your, from your neck to your sacrum um, in that manner. And then when you unroll from that way, then you're just unraveling back to, to where you were. This would be so super simple to show you if it was a visual demonstration, mm -hmm. but I'm trying to, trying to figure out how to talk, talk through it. But so that's it though. It's just, you're just bringing your op either. If you're doing an upper body roll, you're bringing your opposite shoulder towards your opposite hip. If you're doing a lower body roll, you're bringing that hip towards the opposite shoulder. So if I were rolling from my left leg, I'm going to reach up and across my body with my left leg. So I'm trying to bring my left hip towards my right shoulder as I roll. And when I extend that leg, it flips my body over from my back to my belly. So, and if you were looking at that, watching that happen, you would actually see the running or walking pattern in the middle of that roll. Yeah. I'm going to watch for that next time. Cause I, I believe you, it makes sense. I, I, I get what you're saying, though. And, you know, when you're talking about this, this is one of the things I was interested with just rolling in general is in some of the biomechanics courses I'm going through, like a, a thing that shows up over and over again, is like a cross connect, like so, a movement where the left knee and the right elbow, for example, end up meeting towards the midline of the body. Yes. And I'm like, okay, like, this is awesome. But I'm always thinking, well, where can cross connect show up in other things in just like a roll? Or a lot of times, um, a Darian Barr is a a biomechanics uh, track coach, a specialist track coach, and he's been on the show a lot. And he does, I, I've had him or seen him do a lot of movements where he's like standing on one leg and he's bringing, he's in a little bit of flexion. He's bringing his left elbow to his right knee while his left leg is on the ground. And I'm like, oh, there's a cross connect right there. Like, it's like this stuff shows up in, or I, even like there's like yoga poses, like that kind of like, I don't know, the grapevine, like folded up pose and like I'm getting cross connects. Anyways, I was just thinking, I was just being mindful of, okay, well, what, what other movements does this show up in where I might not need to be quite as intentional? Uh, what I'm trying to say is I don't like to take as, I want to take as little time out of a workout as possible to do little isolated correctives, if that makes sense. Like I will, but if I can get them in a more global movement, then I want to do that. <laughs> it's like uh, Rafe Kelly was just on saying, you know, one of his things is always trade at the level of the highest complexity. A role is a little bit more complexity than like doing a lie on your back cross connect. I mean, they're both awesome, you know, but if I can get all in a role of some sort and, you know, and get other things too at the same time, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that more often. At least that's the, the line of thinking I'm under right now. So I'm always just thinking about where do these things show up when I'm just doing so like a role or something. In between sets, try marching because you're bringing your opposite shoulder towards your opposite hip on the front side and, and back side. And you're, you're coordinating those those limbs mirroring each other. You're lighting up both hemispheres of the brain. It's a mini roll, so to speak, because rolling is the beginning of your gait pattern. So marching is just an extension of that beginning, right? So it's the gait pattern. So really the lowest hanging fruit is always gait pattern. 
So whether it's a cross crawl, doing that cross connect deliberately, you can do marching cross crawls or just straight up marching, making sure those shoulders match those hips and the shoulders go into extension. Lights everything up, floods the brain with wonderful information. And most, most times, more times than not, it takes breaks off the, the body, it takes away inhibition. Yeah. Dan Fichter, I've, I've been thinking about that too. Yeah, Dan Fichter has been on the show, talked about like doing a extreme slow. So I think like taking like one minute a rep, like standing and connecting the opposite elbow to the opposite, like a march, like an extreme slow march and doing that as like a warm up. And it just was really effective. But I was going to ask you too. Yeah. Do you do the stuff between sets? That was actually one of my next questions. So that would be like that. Do you yeah. do rolling between sets as well? Or, or is the rolling just more for the warm up? Like how do you weave this in between training sets? So it's so if you think just total reset and you don't think warm up. So think if you could if you could take your you know what etch a sketch is, right? Yeah. And when you draw on it and you get all the lines on the screen, the only way to get that screen pretty again is to just shake everything up. You reset it. So no matter what you're you've done the night before, no matter how bad you slept, uh, no matter what fight you just had uh with your spouse right before you get to the gym. You can shake up your extra sketch by pressing reset, by rolling, rocking, crawling, make everything right again to prepare you for whatever it is you're about to do. Now, say you get into your strength training system. Well, now you're drawing lines on the screen again. You heavy set of squats, heavy deadlift, heavy bench press, whatever. You just drew lines all over the screen again on your extra sketch. So after that set, if you march or you roll or you rock or you crawl, you shake up the extra sketch again. You make the screen pretty again to draw again on the next set, just as good, if not better than you did the set prior. So you're always kind of starting with a clean slate, so to speak, after so that they don't have to be just for warm ups. They can be for whatever your nervous system needs to make it optimally run for what it is you want to do. Yeah, that makes me think about the idea of like I've, some of the neurological courses I've, I've taken. Um, they'll have you do like a range of motion test between sets. Like I'm going to do a set of squats. I'll do like a toe touch or you know, move my arm behind my head, see how far I went. And then I'll do another set. And like, as soon as that range of motion gets worse, then I like, I'm done, you know? Uh, but it makes me wonder about like how, if you could, if you wanted to, if you could do like more sets effectively by doing some of these resets in between, like if I rolled in between sets Absolutely. to, yeah, to, to kind of like iron out the nervous system and, and that kind of thing. Absolutely. It helps you recover faster in between your set and it takes away, sometimes it takes away, um, I don't know how to say this. Like say your second set was, it was a challenge, um, your form started to break down. Now you could stop and that would be smart. Um, or you could press reset and see if you can clean up your nervous system and give it better information than, than it was having during that second set and see if it can move better. And a lot of times it can. Yeah. I think about this is kind of something that's been in my head for a bit, but it's like this running list of things that are better to do between sets and sitting there on your phone. I see when I'm at the gym, like I just see kids constantly on their phones between sets. I'm like, oh, like what are some better things to do? I don't let my athletes be on their phone between sets, but I'm always trying to think, well, okay, well, if I am like, I try to keep all these things running. Like there's at least something to do. There's always something like if I'm training, there is something to be mindful of right now. That's going to help me go throughout this session. And I obviously just, being like, all right, ro I mean, rolling is so easy too. I, compared to I mean, even marching would be great, but like if it's a heavier set, right? You probably want a little more rest, relatively speaking. Like you do a heavier set or or a heavy, I don't know, jump or whatever sprint. And I want to chill out between. Like rolling is like literally the easiest 
it's almost you almost think that might speed up your recovery in some in some perspectives like Charlie Francis would talk about the sprint coach would be like, all right, you're going to do a max, you know, 150 meter dash. All right. Now you got to rest like 25 minutes till you do another one. If we're really training nervous system and makes me wonder if, well, maybe I could speed that up a little bit, do a few rolls or something or some, some breathing right between and I get my nervous well, so every, system ready to go quick. More yeah. Quickly. Everything matters. Cause how are you breathing in between your sets? Yeah. Are you, are so, cause everything's information, right? The body's the, is the sponge. So how you breathe is information and you're telling your nervous system one of two things i'm safe or i'm not safe and if you're telling your nervous system you're not safe because you're breathing in a faulty way or or not the best way well then you're not going to perform better on that next set but so everything matters because everything we're doing is constantly taking in information so even for your example of people sitting and looking at their phone between sets well what are they looking at because it's information. And is it negative information? Because it will definitely have a detriment on the nervous system. Is it positive information? It may actually help them do something better during their next set, depending on the type of information they're looking at and the thought processes that they're having with it, because our own thoughts affect our nervous system, because it's our thoughts that also tell our nervous system, I'm safe or I'm not safe. So it all, all matters. So what you do in between the set can greatly determine how good the next set can be, or if you just need to stop. <laughs> yeah, one, one of the videos I, I'd seen that I, I really like this is uh, I had a podcast with Mike Salemi, who was a big uh, work with Paul Check a lot. And one of the big things like Mike does, he got from Paul was he will do breathing in all like the warm up sets. I think even the we didn't get into like heavy lifting or anything. We were just doing like a very movement quality type workout together. And it was like every time there was an expansion, it was an inhale. Every time there was a contraction, it was an exhale for ev- literally everything. And at first I'm like, man, this is a lot of breathing. But the more we got into it, I'm like, this is really good. Like the next day, I actually, I was jumping so high the next day felt so good. And I saw Paul check do, he does, Paul check does a lot of like work. He calls it working in. So it's like you, you, you expend energy with an exercise, a heavy set or whatever and you work out and then you work in. So you do like breathing and various things. And he had one, he was doing, he was like rolling back on a ball, like opening him, himself up. But he was also like, all right, Andrew, do positive affirmations during this. I'm thinking about my dreams and my goals. And I'm like, I mean, this is like, like, if you really want to get results, like, I mean, you don't look at like, okay, you could look at your phone between sets and text somebody or social media, but like, if you really want to get results, like you to be constantly focused on your dream. Like, and if, I think if your dream isn't big enough, you're going to probably look at your phone. Cause maybe this is, this is important. This is fun. I'm lifting, but it's not that important to you. It's like, depending on right. how important to you it is like everything comes in like, and then, and I'm, I've been actually thinking the older, <laughs> the older I get to, I mean, I'm, I, my recovery is less. And so, especially on like my recovery days now, like I'll go out and I'll go like, run in the woods or do intervals in the woods but then i'll do like like some crawls or some isometrics and during those i'm really trying to affirm like and breathe and focus on what i want my body to to do like and and that's where that like it just becomes more important to me it's like it's it's the gift of not being able to recover as well because i see what happens if i don't do those things so yeah a lot of wisdom comes to us as we age (laughs) yeah (laughs) we can get away with a lot more in our early 20s in terms of recovery that's for sure no, but that that's brilliant. Um, I think, well, obviously, Paul Check is the man. Um, and if he's doing it, there's probably something to it. Yeah, if you can do one arm pull ups and you're 60 years old, you're definitely doing something right. That's for sure. Right on. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so with the on the line of like, you know, I mentioned like, okay, cross connect. You find what we're finding in a roll or in a march, um, like something that's more coordinated that can cover the bases of a lower coordination. Um, Internal rotation has been something I, I think about a lot. I've been talking about it on this podcast for a long time, like how we 
I actually just posted this on Instagram the other day. It was like a 70-year-old sprinter who like ran 13-4, which is pretty fast for 70. And he his internal rotation in the air was so good compared to a lot of his competitors who had lost a lot of internal rotation, relatively speaking. And, and it really helped him, especially past that initial acceleration, although he was good there too. But, um, you know, ways that rolling or other movements that are more global in general, how do you look with... For how do you look to those in their capacity to help restore internal rotation? So I think I think rolling is actually an excellent movement um, for keeping, restoring, and building um, internal rotation um, in the hips and the and the arms. Um, not that we necessarily need it in arms. Usually, so what happens is is we get we get rounded and internally rotated into shoulders and externally rotated into hips, but rolling works internal and external rotation so it helps create that balance um but a great great uh, idea for internal rotation of hips is again laying on your back and picking your right leg up to roll to your belly so you're picking your right leg up and crossing midline reaching over your left side and you're taking that hit through internal rotation it's a spiral and it spirals you over um again like an ocean wave piece by piece by piece and you can if you do this exploratively you can start to really try to internally rotate your, you know, from the big toe over to the ankle, over mm. to the knee, over to the hip, and really try to spiral your leg around cool. to spiral your pelvis around, to spiral your spine around, to spiral all the way up to your neck. Um, and it can be so therapeutic, but a great way to gently restore internal and external rotation in the hips and shoulders. I love it's like that's something that I feel like you can't do if it's just check the box mentality as well, nearly Correct. as well. You know, like you have to be there and you have to actually like be feeling joints. And it makes me think of like hey, I've read um, information like how do martial artists warm up? Like and, and Tommy John has mentioned this, like too, how different sometimes that is. But like everything, it's like you're bathing all the joints in this sensation before you get into your practice. And, yep. and it's just it. But it's a philosophy. It's that in the martial arts and philosophy, it's always very connected versus I think we just kind of like to compartment. Everything is so much like a machine now or treated very much more like a machine than it is. And not like that. That's not bad sometimes, but we don't really treat it as this. This is this living, breathing human organism that we actually have to interface with on a, a connective level. I, I think the biggest problem is that we're in a society that wants to be fed information, but they don't want to seek information. They don't mm -hmm. want to learn. Like you can know something, but you don't know anything if you don't experience it. Right. You, most people just want to, well, just tell me what to do. <laughs> just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But if you don't actually get into it, you can't learn from it. Um, and I think that's the difference is that, that, you know, just when you've got people that want to just be fed, like that's, that's why we want magic pills. That's why we want a magic movement um, or a magic routine. Just tell me what to do, but it, it takes away that internal reflection um, and the, the whole adventure of exploring what your body can do and how it is actually made to move and what actually does feel good and what actually do you really want? What do you want? What's going to make you happy? Is a is a two hundred pound bench press going to make you happy? Is a double your body weight squat going to be the thing that solves all your problems, or would just feeling good and moving well solve most of your problems? Because then your your thoughts and your emotions are going to be better. You know, like, it's just, I, I, I think we're just, we're, we've learned how to not learn. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. I, I would agree with you with that. I think it's interesting just being on social media and just how many people just want an exercise like a, just, can you just show me this, you know, like this, 
but there's never questions on like the how, like, how do I, how do I learn? <laughs> and I know great coaches, the more I study great coaches, they, they never give the athlete too much. You know, it's like, here's some basic things. And then I want you to learn and spend some time on this and tell me what you learned. Not like, I'm going to make you fast and strong and you're going to do it. You know, like, like, no, here's something. Go, go learn with this and then tell me what you learned and you experience it and you struggle with it a little bit and figure it out. You know, there has to be something there. There has to be a give and take and a meet in the middle. And maybe part of it too is like, we live in a world where we're, you know, we can, we can be paid by teaching and things and how to do things. So it's like, it's not, sometimes it's harder for someone to be like, oh, you're going to, you know, I'm going to you know pay you to teach me something and you're just going to make me learn, <laughs> make me learn it out half of it on my own, you know, that kind of mentality. But that's, I mean, it's just critical. I, I think that that's a, yeah, how to learn and to be willing to spend time struggling through some things and feeling it out for yourself is like one of the lost arts. We don't talk about how to really get that through enough. I think I, as far as moving goes, like if you just spent time exploring how your own body moves, you would learn so much, but, but it would actually change how you feel emotionally and how you think emotionally. I mean, I think it would make you make you a better problem solver, make you more creative. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Actually, back to what you said, I wanted to build on that, like the idea that like I'm a big believer that the mind is the body, that what you see in the body is a representative of you know emotions and, and how you generally feel. And because I mean, it, it like the world of bioenergetics or even, you know, my I remember. So Douglas Heal, who runs Be Activated, I, I went to his um, which is a lot of, that's offshoot. That's RPR. Now, a lot of people are familiar with that. And I went to one of his um, like the level one to be activated eight years ago and he would just have you like like he had everyone stand up and everyone had to like just turn their head down like in in poor posture for like a minute and be like well how do you feel after this like how does your body feel being in this posture like not good like worse than when i'm standing up tall and proud and feel good like and there's just something to like you know anyone who's just gotten even like good therapy done and you walk out and it's just like man i feel straighter and taller i just feel better it's not like it was just work done in your body, but you're able to move better and, and things just changed or like, so I, I think that, yeah, the, the better we can move it, it is an interconnected thing for sure. I just think, you know, spending all your time compressing yourself under heavy loads and not necessarily being healthy and being injured all the time, there is something that's not, because I've been there and, and there is something more about like the way my body feels after a workout where I really like engage the movement quality. And Again, I mean, a lot of times it is like the more like the more young outcomes, like the sprinting and the jumping. But when I weaved it in with movement and and fe- and feeling, and there was like a total package to it, I think I feel the best at the end of those, and knowing like I'm recovering well as, as well. So, anyways, I agree with you that like the, the if you move well, you do feel well, and and we need to play more too. I think that would be on there as well. Um, we don't do that enough, but yeah, I totally agree on that. I'm glad you brought that up, Tim. So as you were talking. I, there was something that I was thinking about. You're talking about slowing things down, um, you know, into, especially in the crawl. It's like this super slow. It's this much slowed down movement compared to, let's say, sprinting or an explosive lift or a throw. Um, do you do you have any um, like like play or or different um, assignments to speeds and rhythms? Uh, do you address that in in any sorts of way? If there's like a particular rhythm, like like you're going to do this one at this speed or this at this speed, or there's a rhythmic quality to what we're doing. Do you work with those at all or have any way of looking at those in the course of your training? Uh, yeah, kind of. But for most people, the issue is they want to do things too fast. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm most of the time I'm trying to get people to slow down. <laughs> so, uh, and, and like, 
And when I say slow down, I mean like sloth slow, like where they can really force the control, like where they can gain control. Um, you know, cause if, if you can't move really, really super slow doing something, you don't necessarily, uh, have all your your foundation filled in so you might have you might be jerky or hitchy or you can't like uh people shake a lot um and so i I love using slow movement to try to fill in all the gaps um so that somebody can really develop full control over over how their body moves and then after they own slow then it's really it can be a lot of fun to go fast um and then and then you know they're not using speed to cover up stuff they don't actually have um and, but you all, you, you kind of know too, because when people really have control over their body, fast movement still looks beautiful. Um, it doesn't look like there's, you know, there's a lot of hitches in the, the giddy up, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I, I work with speed most for most people slow, um, some people fast, and then it is fun to actually combine rhythm to a movement. Like, like you were mentioning a person talking, uh, playing, playing music without words, um, and trying to move to the beat. Um, there's, I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, and I think it is great for the nervous system. Um, but, but it also helps hone in coordination and rhythm, um, which are pretty essential for, for, you know, living well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you can't, I think that we have this view maybe with that stuff. We just look at like eighties aerobics videos and they're really hokey, you know, it's like, oh, this is stupid. But like, if you do even just, I mean, some of the most recovered, um, the most recovered my feet have felt is like after a night of dancing, like with like, it's especially like barefoot, like on a bamboo floor, like the most recovered my feet had ever felt and amazing. It's just like, there's something that that does to you that goes beyond just, all right, well, if I was just to go like, just say, all right, well, you're just going to hop up and down for 30 minutes, but you know, just, all right, well, that's fine. But <laughs> It's just not the same, you know? So yeah, I definitely think we, we definitely underestimate how helpful those things can be for sure. Even even using a metronome, like it doesn't even have to be a song with a beat, but just a consistent yeah. beat that you can try to match and mimic your movement to uh, can can be pretty a pretty neat stimulus for the body. Yeah, I think that could really draw attention too. Like like really big, it's going to bring you into the present moment. You know, you can't. Really, yeah, I, I think Max Shank. Uh, I don't know if we talked about that when he was on. Uh, it's like about episode two hundred or somewhere in there. So hundred episodes ago, but I know he's really big into metronomes and 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 beats and those kind of things, and so. Yeah, I'll have to, I think my go-to is some sort of beat, but I think a metronome too has so much value, you know, because plus two, you know, if the athlete's not into the music, you know, well, here's just, you know, just, you know, like, let's do it. Um, Tim, I wanted to ask you, what are your, so, you know, as you've gone through all this and, you know, what's your, and maybe we talked about this a little bit on the first time you were on, but what, tell me a little bit about your, your own personal training journey, what your sessions used to look like in fitness and like, what do you do now? Like, so nowadays, like, what does a typical Tim Anderson, I'm going to train myself session look like? You know, having known everything that you know and, and been through it all and all the experimentation, um, tell me a little bit about what it used to look like and what everything kind of looks like these days. Well, in the wee beginnings, it was just life in the weight room. Um, and I was pretty much self-taught everything I did. So naturally, I did the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, high volume bodybuilding routines for strength, right? So every day was chest day. Uh, <laughs> I guess I strayed a little bit from Arnold because every day was chest day. Um, and then, uh, when I got into college, uh, I was trying to, I always lift heavy, um, squats, bench press, not a lot of deadlifts. 
I discovered kettlebells, fell in love, uh, did those way too much um, to where they did not love me back. Uh, that's fortunately, though, um, that's how I discovered uh, OS or my original strength. Um, nowadays, I really don't lift anything other than my body. Um, I spend every morning 30 to 40 minutes rolling around and rocking on the floor uh, for my own strength training. I do currently, you know, I'll do stuff like 21 pull-ups a day, uh, 21 handstand push-ups a day, uh, some type of, uh, jumping, like hinging type motion where it's like sprinting without sprinting. Um, I, but it's, it's very boring stuff like that. Uh, but I feel good and that's what I want. Uh, so basically I'm at the point where I just do stuff that I know my body likes. That's going to help me do the things I want to do, uh, and live my life. Well, I have all the strength really that I need to have that I want to have. I can do anything I want to do. So if I want to go out rock climbing or like running or hiking or whatever, I can do it. If I want to play flag football. I can do it um, and feel good doing it. So I don't, I don't do a lot of heavy lifting anymore. Um, I carry a lot of, you know, I carry things. I crawl and I carry those. That's my true staples for outside of my calisthenics. I, every day I crawl 10 minutes or I carry something for 10 minutes and that's it. That's cool. Yeah, I haven't gotten. It's like every time I get too far away from carrying things, like loaded carries, I, I realize how much I lose there. Like I've talked on this show before about when I used to work um, moving for the in the summers when I was in college. Or college, you know, in between track seasons, my off season was doing moving, like carrying things up and down, and even like up and down the stairs too, backwards up the stairs. You know, carrying like a couch backwards. You got one end. Like I, the older I get, the more I'm like, that was such good training. There was so many little like, pieces of general physical preparation, and then I. And then the season came and I went and did the lifts and the jumps and the sprints and all that stuff. And it was great. And then the summer came and I did all the carries again. And every time I get into carries again, as I get older, I just realize how good of a global stimulus it is. And, and I can never get too, too far away from those things. And of course, crawling, you know, so I, I definitely resonate with that. Carries are amazing. It's one of the easiest ways to stay strong. And it doesn't even have to be heavy. The stuff you carry doesn't really even have to be, you know, it's all relative, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be you know, brutal. Will you, uh, when you do your rolling, so, if, I mean, you talk about prescribing for people like three minutes, and, you know, they can do three. You're like doing 30 or 40. Does that partly like your own exploration to like kind of learn new things and nuances? Oh yeah, I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm moving slow. I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to check in with my body and then I'll daydream a little bit and I'll start wondering <laughs> about writing something or, or trying to learn something from what I'm feeling in the, in a movement. And so then I'll start thinking about, can I make a video about this role? Like, so when I'm rolling around, I'm trying to discover new things or like, it's just random, like what pops up in my head. Um, so I do, I take my time, I guess. So I guess if you compressed all the rolling, you may get five minutes of rolling out of me, but it takes me 30 to 40 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> that's like your, that's like your silent time, right? Like that's your, yes, like, that's your exactly. to learn and, and be, and yeah, be present, right? That's, that's cool. it. That's cool. Yeah. When you said 30, 40 minutes, I was like, some of that's gotta be like, just learning kind of like iron out, get ready for your day, like type thing. After yeah, I've, I've been thinking more and more about like my my own personal morning routine and what do I want in there, and so that might be a really good thing to to have in there as well. I mean, are you like is that just that's just all like slow like that's not really the strength like element at all. That's just pure function, pure like this for like the mind. I imagine like just the general, and then all the strength is later in the day. Uh, well, and again, now so after that thirty forty minutes, the strength is right next. So oh, gotcha. say. Say I've done my 30 minutes of 
rolling and rocking around. Then I'll do my, I'll move right into 21, um, what I call track starters, uh, 21 handstand pushups, 21 pull-ups, 21 pushups, whatever. Um, and then I'll go into 10 minutes of crawling, whatever the crawling routine is uh, that day. And then I'll do 10 minutes of carries, whatever the carry routine is that day. Do you find for your crawling routines, do you, uh, do you, Dick, do you have a routine or do you like explore in the crawls too? And I asked that cause, uh, yeah, go ahead and answer that one. I, no, I, I do both. It just depends on the season that I'm in. Um, you know, cause I am, there's a big part of me is like rain, man. I like, uh, consistency. Mm. Um, but I'll play something out until I want to learn something else or I want to try something else. Um, and I'm, I'm, so an easy way is like Mondays and Thursdays, same type of crawl Tuesdays and Fridays, same type of crawl Wednesday and Saturdays, the same type of crawls. And then that's three crawls, different crawls during the week. So I'll do stuff like that too. And then I'll, you know, once it no longer, I feel like it's no longer serving what I want. I'll switch it out and do something different. Cool. So you are very like. It's funny because I like I'm a very not I shouldn't say inconsistent. I found for me like the best is like all the like, you know, I, I still do lifting and I find that those like my lifting is boring. Like when I lift, it's the same thing. Like I'm not I'm actually like and it's almost like the farther I've gone along the I, I my all my creativity goes into more like specific skills. Like, all right, we're going to do sprinting. We're jumping. We're doing you know, a sport specific skill or anything related to that. That's where a lot more of the creativity and Fun the stuff. goes in. Yeah. Whereas the lifting is just like this is this can be just the more basic and routine this is actually it's like the better because it saves me energy it's just it's consistent it saves me energy for all the other stuff and so i definitely but understand that i would say so you're like really your chance to explore is just the rolling like that's your that's your i guess you could say that's your play time that's your explore time and then that's the, the non-scripted stuff. time yeah got it i i one of the things i like doing I, with crawling, this is, I guess, this is a little bit different than, you know, how you use crawling. That's why I was curious is, um, so there's a group, or Michael Zweifel's been on the show a lot, Tyler Yerby, this, uh, Sean Mishka's group, Emergence, and they like doing uh, what's called a crawl explore. So it's like, just crawl, and you could just mess around, you can do all sorts of different things, and they'll use that. We were talking about things between sets. Um, that's something I occasionally will prescribe between sets as well. Like a, It's probably not quite as restorative as rolling, if you really want to restore, but like it's at least allows for like exploration between sets, so that's that's something that I've enjoyed using, but so I guess the real, like, if you're really trying to explore just movement and really slowing, because you could do a crawl explore, not slow down. Like you could do break dancing. That's not very slow. You know, <laughs> it's right. So it's like, if you're really slowing things down, you got to like, they really almost have to roll in some ways to really that environment to really, truly slow things down to where you could explore all the joints working. Yeah. So you can, but I will say you can go super slow. And I, this is something I love to do. Um, because here, so even in my regiment of crawling, super slow crawling is part of it. And it is literally how slow can I crawl and control every facet of the motion? Like, which means that, that at some point there's only two limbs on the ground for a long, 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 long period of time while the other two men's limbs are slowly, slowly, slowly moving for their next placement. Um, and I love doing that because you can learn so much about your body doing that too. Yeah. That kind of fits in. I was asking you about the speeds, like, right. Like, so it's, that seems like that would be brutal. Like how, I mean, in an awesome way, like, and again, like where, when I have athletes crawl almost invariably, no one crawls too slow. It's always people who go too fast. Yes. And it's funny. Cause actually I coach, um, yeah, again, I probably mentioned this like every single podcast now set, like it's, it's good, but it's almost like everyone's listening. It's like oh, too much. Like, in coaching youth sports like youth soccer like we do an animal warm-up where where the kids get to pick the animal they want to be and then they all try to be that animal for 15 yards or whatever and, and they get to pick i don't really tell them what to do but 
if it's a bear, like there's there's like one or two kids who always like just like sprint in their crawls. Like it's like the fastest thing ever. And then like my daughter's like super methodical. She's always the last one crawling along the line. I was like, I was just kind of funny to me. But I I, I will say, yeah, like that two points of contact, like if we're talking about like connecting the, the X of the torso, I was like, man, I couldn't really think of, again, that's like another thing. It's like, I could do all these, you know, fancy, you know, structured, cor- cor- uh, corrective exercises, or I could just crawl extremely slowly. I feel like for the core, like there's so much there. Yeah. So, so remember the three things were breathe with your diaphragm. Well, uh, nasal breathing, tongue and roof your mouth. Activate your vestibular system. So one way you can do that is to keep your head on the horizon while you're on all fours, you know, eyes and head on the horizon, and then crawl. And that's the gait pattern. So those three things are inside of super slow motion crawling, right? And it's extremely powerful as for what it can do for your body. Yeah. It's like you see, you have people slow down and you see their compensations come out so fast. Because when you go fast, you can just like, you, like you said, the best athletes are the best compensators. They can just wiggle their way around it, and you wouldn't really know the difference. But as soon as you tell them to slow it down, it's uh, how how long or far do you do that? Like, and like, what's the the cadence like of an extreme slow crawl? Like you would do like oh, one every well, like one crawl every ten seconds or something, or what's like, or is there like a record for like one one step every like sixty seconds? That'd be pretty tough. <laughs> I don't know what the record would be, but like, like, so I go, you typically, I do 10 minute blocks, right? So I'll crawl super slow motion for 10 minutes. And inside of that time, I may go down and back my studio. If that, um, which is like 40 feet down and maybe 40 feet back inside of 10 minutes. Now, conversely, when I'm just calling it regular speed for 10 minutes, I may make like 20 trips of that. So it just, you know, just to, depends now you can go as slow as you want you can be stuck in the middle like where it looks like you're not moving um but the goal is is to actually to move a little bit so you can control it so not it's it's, it's just off of an isometric it's like it's so slow it's almost an isometric but not quite <laughs> got it it just makes me think too for all the coaches out there listening to this like no matter what it is that yours your like like big thing like it's and the funny thing with sprinting even like sp- how do you slow down sprinting right like as I've spent time with uh, Adarian Barr who's been on the show a lot, like he spends so much time just exploring and experimenting in like an isometric position that resembles like mid stance and sprinting. Like as I've known, just so much time just experimenting there. And it seems like no matter what you're, is it, is it throwing, is it jumping, whatever your skill is just to spend time experimenting in a slowed down version of that is so, cause as I listen to you talk, I could tell you have spent so much time mastering your own, the things you're teaching you have spent probably, I mean, thousands and thousands of hours actually slowly or, or at various speeds going through it and exploring and experimenting. And I feel like that's inspirational for whatever we are teaching. I feel like we should be doing that on some level and, and just not just reading about it and like being intellectually being like, okay, well, this is the model and da, da, da. And that's great. That stuff is important. That's an important part of the recipe. But like the other important end is you yourself being in it and, and not just in it, like check the box, but like I'm in it. I'm present with this, you know, and I see that in what you do. I just think that's really interesting. And I, it look, especially getting into your personal routine and how you explore movement. Well, there's part of like, like learning. Um, there's joy. Joy is, is attached to that, right? When you learn, there's a certain amount of joy that you get out of learning something. And then there's even more joy though, that you get when you under, when you learn it and then you're able to share it. Right. Like, yeah. so it, so it actually helps speed you more. And then as you share it, 
you learn more about it in the moment of the sharing of it too. So the learning kind of compounds itself. Like you learn in the doing and the exploration, you gain that knowledge. And then as you try to convey it or share it to others, you, you gain even more knowledge about it. And it does drive you to dive back into it a little bit more though, and can continue to try to learn from it. So it's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Learning and sharing. It's just like, it's like the hero's journey. You learn the lesson, you share your medicine. You learn the lesson, you yep. share your medicine. <laughs> Love it. Uh, just two more questions for you quickly. I, I don't know if these were exactly on the list, but they're, they're close offshoots. Uh, so one is, well, you just mentioned it actually. So the head position in rolling in vestibular. So you're saying like it, in a roll, I guess ideally I would look like at a fixed point on the wall while I roll, like my head is up and trying to like have my eyes on a, like a central point as I'm rolling around to some degree or w- that versus like head in neutral, like kind of just heads doing whatever, like just thoughts never on neutral. Me. No, never, never, <laughs> ne- not neutral. Never so neutral. It's always looking head, at something. The heads leads, leads the body, right? So if the head's in neutral, it's telling the body they don't want to go anywhere, um, which is a tug of war. Uh, so, but no, so like uh, when a child rolls, they have a target. They're rolling for intention. They want to get to the red ball. They want to get to the remote control or the car. So if you give yourself a target on the floor uh, um, and ideally across your body, like at an angle and you just reach for it, go get your, go get the shiny red ball, reach for it and let your body follow the head and the eyes intention and the reach and it'll pull you right over. Got it. That makes sense as I'm, you know, I've, I've done like some Z health stuff or like some stuff where it's like V, I think it's called VOR or vestibular ocular reflex where you're mm-hmm. keeping your eyes on something, but you're moving your head around and like, but your eyes, like I'm, like, I'm looking at you, but like I move my, my nose, you know, 45 degrees, but I have to keep my eyes on you. Like, it's almost like, again, that's where it's like built in, right? Like your, your body is moving, but your eyes have to stay focused on something. So it's. Well, so really they're like, so if you're laying on your back and you see the remote control is across the room. Well, now your eyes have moved to that remote control and now they're anchored to it. And now your head raises up to start reaching for that remote control and your arm is reaching. So your eyes are the laser. They lock in. They're the tractor beam that locks in on the object you want. And then your body follows that intention. Mm. So it's, 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 it's actually integrating all of the reflexes. So it's eyes, head, body. Um, and, and so you're using the eyes to initiate the movement, actually. Yeah, got it. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, from the first, like one of the first jump programs I bought, it was talking about doing like a 360 depth jump. And like, it's like, how to turn into 360? Eyes lead the way, you know, your eyes and body will follow. Yes. Uh, last, last question here for you. I was literally just thinking about this as I go in the world of cross connects and things and restoring hip extension or um, dealing with people whose like spines are, uh, we didn't really get into posture too much, but people, you know, like people who are like, have done chest big, you know, big chest, butt back posture too much under compression. And they kind of get that lower back spinal compression. Um, and the idea of using like internal rotation or a cross call to almost like undo that in a way I was thinking about crawling. Like I saw a video of someone, um, they had their athletes crawling with the hands and feet on like a line. So that kind of brings everything in the center. Is that anything that you do or what, what are your thoughts on like that kind of crawling? Or do you think there's, there's a better way to get at what that type of crawl is trying to get at? Uh, I don't typically, so in OS, we don't put people's hands in like, uh, feet on the line or a balance beam or anything like that. Um, we, we try to teach just like with the roll, we try to teach fluid, uh, crawling where it looks beautiful. Um, and like where, where everything's moving like a wave versus, mm-hmm. uh, a, a walking stick. 
So if you see some people crawl, you may see it looks like very mechanical or very robotic, um, or it doesn't look uh, natural or it doesn't look human even. Um, so we just try to teach crawling in a way where it's uh, fluid, where it looks like a, like a, like a, if a leopard's crawling, it looks beautiful. When a human's crawling, it should also look beautiful um, because we're made to move just as graceful as a leopard is, right? So we try to teach crawling in that manner. Now for the posture and stuff that you're talking about, posture gets restored and reset on all fours. So even before crawling, that's where we would start on maybe with rocking. Um, and, but we could definitely further, uh, help restore posture with crawling because the eyes and the head should be on the horizon. Um, and the, the back should be, should be flat. Um, so, and, and, and so that's where we get our cervical curve and our lumbar curves from. So just being on all fours and moving fluidly is a great way to start to get the posture to be reset and restored. Cool. I know going to the zoo now versus going to the zoo 20 years ago is totally different for me because <laughs> when I watch the animals, like I'm watching, like I'm watching their movement patterns. I'm watching like move? their shoulder blades <laughs> glide on their rib cage. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which is what you see when you see a leopard crawl, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think about like, I, I think about too, like how my rib cage has changed shape from like probably too much bench pressing for about 15 years and like how it probably doesn't glide like. I actually will crawl sometimes and like try to let it glide like that because we, I think in many, so many schools of thoughts, like everything's brace, you know, there shouldn't be any motion. Like your hand should hit and your shoulder blade shouldn't move at all or something needs to be rigid. But then I go to the zoo and I'm like, see these gorillas that are, could probably lift like a thousand pounds, you know, and their shoulder blades are gliding on the rib cage. Like there's like this, there's like this fluid glide happening. I'm like, that is so cool. Like, and then I try to crawl like that and my abs, if I actually try to do that, my abs like light up when I'm crawling. It was just interesting. Me just messing around with it. But it was so cool, cool to watch I think that. what you're seeing at the zoo is the truth of movement. Whereas the stuff in the gym is kind of like um, uh, a well-intentioned, misguided notion of movement <laughs> called exercise. Yeah, called exercise. I'll have that should be a, on a t-shirt. The well-intentioned, misguided notion of exercise. I like these terms well-intentioned, though. I think that's important because it is all well-intentioned. It is well-intentioned, sure. right? Like nobody's trying to screw anybody up by telling them that never to move their head. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they're trying to help them. It's just, I think it's well-intentioned, but maybe misguided. Yeah. Good stuff, Tim. Well, hey, I know. Um, yeah, hopefully everyone, if, you, if everyone's watching Animals at the Zoo, make sure you watch the, the scapular action on the ribcage for the all that the smooth moving animals is definitely something that's so cool to watch. And man, Tim, it's so good to talk to you. I, I love how you just take all these you know complex ideas and just put them into the simplicity of these basic human movements and teach it in a way that we can learn so well. And I have an, I know I have a lot of practice at me with rolling now, so I will report back to you, you know, and I, I don't know if I could do 40 minutes in the morning, but I know I can give you at least like maybe 10, try to really work on that toe to, toe to tibia to femur rotation. I'm excited to try it out. So Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, bud. Thanks for tuning in to another show. We appreciate you being here. And if you enjoyed what we're doing, you can help us out by leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're listening to. I would really appreciate it. We'll catch you guys next week with another great guest.